today on Ag News Daily. Including, you know, the, the, the grains and livestock sectors are certainly watching what's going on over in the Middle East. You know, if you pull the threads, where does it lead? Well, listeners, welcome back to a Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Harvest is still on full swing. Delaney, we're trying to get, I think there's parts of the state of Iowa that are trying to get wrapped up here before some rain comes. I think you're right, Tanner. We're going to see some warmer temperatures for the rest of this week, too. So that's certainly good news for folks trying to get harvest season done. It is for us, but there is freeze warnings in uh, the forecast for North Dakota. There's also a chance of snow this week. So we could see the first snow of 2000, the fall slash early winter of 2023 uh, as it comes. But you're right. We're looking at warmer temperature temperatures here in the Midwest that are going to potentially bring rain chances throughout most of this area. I think uh, if you look at Iowa itself, majority of the states looking at 30 to 40 percent first half of tomorrow with a 70 to 80 percent chance tomorrow evening. So it looks like warmer temperatures followed by a little bit of rain here in the Midwest. Absolutely. As we look at the week ahead of us here, it's also expecting to see some of the warmest temperatures here that we've seen in quite some time as forecasts are expected to be well above normal for the third week of October. The final full week here will bring above normal temperatures across the Corn Belt, uh, but that's going to go into some dramatically colder temperatures following this final week here. As we head into Halloween week, Tanner, that's going to be fairly chilly for folks and certainly could make for an interesting harvest season. But as we think about harvest progress, Tanner, um, it was an interesting article on successful farming today, but Kansas is experiencing a lot of variability as far as yields go. And the farmer that was interviewed in this article grows corn, soybeans, milo, and hay. And he said his yields are really really down after drought conditions impacted much of his operation. He said soybean yields are less than half of a normal crop and corn yields were predominantly below his average APH tanner. So I think that story continues that we're hearing a lot of variability as far as yield go across the country. Yeah, I had a conversation yesterday with a farmer in Nebraska that said their dry land soybeans were anywhere from six to 20 and their dry land corn was anywhere from 25 to 70. Uh, either way, obviously being under pivot or in some type of irrigation benefited those acres quite well. Also saw headline, Delaney, uh, we've got our first bird flu outbreak of 2023. A commercial flock, I believe around 50,000 birds was uh, cited to have avian influenza and infected by that transmissible bird flu in Buena Vista County, Iowa. So uh, that'll be something I'm sure we'll probably end up with another ticker that we'll keep track of again, Delaney, as to how many birds end up with this devastating flu. Yeah, absolutely. I had not seen that headline. So glad you had that one, Tanner. But as far as other headlines, I do have big news broke on Friday that the Navigator CO2 pipeline is no longer going to be in this calendar year or next calendar year or any time in the near future. The company put out a statement on Friday morning saying they were canceling officially the 1300 mile pipeline, Tanner, as they're experiencing quite a few different challenges across the space. 
But less than two weeks after putting a permit on hold in the state of Illinois, they've officially canceled the $3.5 billion project, specifically stating in a company press release that due to the unpredictable nature of the regulator and government processes involved, particularly in the states of South Dakota and Iowa, they were not going to be moving forward with the project. And Tanner, it sounds like the company itself is going to dissolve and is not something they're just pushing off into the future. It's completely off the table from what I understand. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Obviously not a good precedence for the other two pipeline companies that are trying to come across the Midwest. So I'm sure there may be some more follow-up news as uh, this story continues to break. We did get a headline from the Syngenta Group. CEO Eric will retire but he will continue as an advisor and chairman of the board. It looks like Delaney that he's was in that role for almost eight years and they've already got a replacement pick. So starting January 1st, Jeff Rowe, who is currently the president of Syngenta Crop Protection, Syngenta's largest business unit, um, will take that appointment. It looks like this was released on the 20th. So just recent news there to share Delaney. Yeah, absolutely. I had that headline as well, Tanner, but drop drawing in here some other news uh, we're back to the drawing board when it comes to getting a speaker inserted we've seen quite a few folks vying for this position and most recently ohio representative jim jordan failed to capture the speaker votes needed during a third round of voting he was at 194 votes in his third attempt uh, but he was in 200 votes in his first attempt. So he uh, declined in votes as the rounds went on. But it's certainly a neck and neck race here as we see quite a few other folks vying for this position. Today is day 21 without a House speaker. And currently nine lawmakers are in the race for this potential position. And it's whoever gets to 217 votes first will win the gavel, Tanner. But it's uh, certainly been a neck and neck race as we've seen lots of different folks vying for that. No clear winner as of yet or no clear path forward, but uh, that's certainly going to impact other pieces of legislation such as the farm bill. This was very quickly shot down, but House Agriculture Chairman Glenn Thompson suggested to potentially cut $50 billion in other programs such as climate change and public nutrition to help pay for other top farm bill priorities such as crop subsidies and crop insurance. The proposal was very quickly rejected, as you could have guessed, and a lot of folks pointed to long-running disagreements over the farm bill with time running out before the end of this year. So we still have no clear path forward as of right now, and no new funding is available. So any initiatives uh, are going to require some funding from elsewhere or offset in budget areas elsewhere. And this is one of the largest, if not, I think that maybe the largest farm bill that would ever need to be funded in the history of the U.S. standard. So certainly isn't a positive step forward, but sounds like lawmakers are trying to get creative in where they find some of those dollars. Yeah, that it's going to be an interesting fallout because you know we're missing deadlines. I assume the next deadline that is looming is going to get missed as well. Last headlines that I had is uh, there is no ceasefire going on in Israel. Israel's military ramped up its aerial offensive against the Hamas group. There are more than 5,000 confirmed deaths in Gaza. 
20 more trucks delivered vital humanitarian aid uh, coming from Egypt into Gaza. And, uh, however, doctors are unable to use morphine and painkillers due to the lack of critical medical supplies. Um, we're continuing to see what the U.S.'s role may be in this conflict. The defense minister said uh, it's preparing for a multilateral operation, air, ground, and sea to try and wipe out the Hamas. But that's what I had for headlines today. Well, I have just a few other headlines here, Tanner, as we think about heading into the market section. Here's a fun piece of news for our listeners today, as we now have seen four new individuals earn the title of bin buster for the 2023 National Wheat Yield Contest. On Monday, the National Wheat Foundation announced this year's top wheat growing contestants and those included contestants in four main categories. Chris Gross of Raritan, Washington earned the overall award raising irrigated hard red winter wheat that yielded 211.98 bushels per acre, the second highest yield recorded in the contest's history, Tanner. So that was an exciting one there. Yeah, no we- kidding. Yeah, we also I think folks will be happy with corn yields that high, let alone wheat. But uh, the next category was dryland winter wheat, that came in at one hundred and seventy three point seven bushels per acre with uh, Dick Judah of Hillsboro, Oregon. And as we look at a few other awards here, yields ranged across the board from 170 to 129 in the lowest category, but all in all, some pretty aggressive yields coming out of wheat country. And the last piece of news here I'll wrap up on as we head into chat markets was the release of the October cattle on feed report, which came out, of course, Friday afternoon after markets closed. As we look at Friday's inventory of cattle, we saw that for feedlots with capacity of 1,000 head or more, that totaled 11.6 million head as of October 1st. That's one percentage lower, or excuse me, one percentage higher compared to October 1st of 2022. But as we look at inventory altogether, that 11.6 million number included about 6.95 million steers and steer calves, which is up slightly from the previous year. And That group alone, the steer and steer calves, accounted for about 60% of total inventory. Heifers and heifer calves were also up compared to the year prior. And last thing I'll share here is placements and feedlots during September totaled 2.21 million head, which was 6% higher than 2022. So all in all, they're a fairly uh, positive report as you think about the number of livestock we have on feed here in the United States, Tanner. Yeah, very good. Where are markets closing out at today? Great question. As we take a look here at markets heading into the final bell, December corn closed four and three quarters cent lower at 490 and three quarters. So soybeans down 15 and a half cents today to close at 1286 and three quarters. It's December hard red winter wheat up a half a cent at 670 and a half. December Wheat in the Chicago contract up a penny at 587. And spring wheat in the December contract added eight pennies today to close at.
Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Darren Newsom, the Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Excited to chat markets. Yeah, I always look forward to visiting with you, Delaney, and there's certainly been a lot going on. There is. I don't even feel like I fully know where we should start. <laughs> uh, livestock had an ugly day today. Uh, we continue to see risk sentiment from the Israel-Hamas conflict, interest rates. Where do you think we should start, Darren? Yeah, you know, I think right now, you know, the markets in general, including, you know, the, the, the grains and livestock sectors, are certainly watching what's going on over in the Middle East. You know, if you pull the threads, where does it lead? How much worse is it going to get? It seemed like, you know, the the uh, the, the safe haven markets going into this past weekend, you know, gold and crude oil were expecting uh, uh, Israel to invade and it didn't happen. Uh, and so they backed off at least initially here on, on uh, Monday. And, you know, so every and then they just kept falling now that I look at it. And it you know, so it, it, everything seems to be on pins and needles. And so we've got that going globally. We still have Russia going on with Ukraine. Uh, and then here domestically, we've got the FOMC meeting next week. And so, you know, the dollar, I, I haven't looked up all of the news, but the dollar took a beating today. Uh, you know, it was much weaker. So you know, may, some of it's end of the month coming up. Some of it's the FOMC meeting on October 31st with an announcement coming out uh, on the next set on, you know, what's going to happen with interest rates on, on uh, November the 1st. And it's just, there's just, you know, any avenue we could possibly go down there. There's just so many things tugging on markets at this time. Yeah, that's going to be the, the biggest thing right now over you know, overhanging everybody's head is mm -hmm. the number of things that could go wrong. But you mentioned a weaker dollar. Mm -hmm. Isn't that typically a positive move for commodity prices? In general, I know that if you were to ask an economist that question, which I am not, and Delaney knows me well enough, uh, I, I, I take great pride in not being an economist. Um, they would say, yes, that, that's a deciding factor. But I don't think that it is. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it can at times direct the flow of money into commodities. So if you see the dollar getting strong, then you see money coming out of commodities. Uh, and if you see the dollar weak, then you know it's, it's supposedly a buying opportunity. But I, there's too there's too much going on globally right now to really say, look, you know, th these investment traders are looking at the strength and weakness of the US dollar. I think there's just, you know, there, there's too many other things that we have to take account. And, you know, the politics, the, you know, the, the wars, the, you know, the, the military moves, all of these things. So it makes that connection between the dollar and commodities themselves a little weaker. Uh, so we can see days like today. Uh, it it uh, it's hard to call it a risk off day. Uh, I really won't don't know what to call it because I don't think there's any less risk as we head home Monday evening than there was Friday afternoon. But you know, if you were to look around the marketplace, it certainly looks like like that's the case. Yeah. It, it does. And like you mentioned, crude oil was slipping today, the dollar, et cetera. But as we look at today's market price action, Darren, uh, I, I definitely want to spend some time touching on, I'm going to switch things up, be a little unorthodox here. And I know mm -hmm. grain is really more of your forte, but mm -hmm. just the ugly sell-off that we've had now for multiple days in the cattle complex, limit down days, a couple of them now, expanded limits today what is driving this move lower yeah i mean today today was a, uh, probably bloodbath isn't probably the right word to use but 
I mean, it was a train wreck today and, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, I guess the interesting thing is hogs held together relatively well, but if we look at the cattle market, 99.9% of the industry is going to say, oh, this is a reaction to the uh, cattle and feed report. Okay. Those numbers were as of October 1, we could see cattle, you know, the size of the cattle being placed, the number of cattle being placed during September. If we looked at, you know, future spreads, deferred future spreads, particularly out in the Feb, April, we could see what the cattle on feed were by, by looking at the DEES and, and Feb spreads and then all, you know, what was being marketed with the October uh, futures themselves. So, I mean, there wasn't any huge surprise. I mean, the placement numbers seemed a bit out of line. And so, was that the catalyst? There will be some that say it was, and, and it certainly looks like algorithms could have been triggered based on headlines associated with last Friday's cattle on feed report. But we have to remember, live cattle had moved into a downtrend on weekly charts to begin with a number of weeks ago, and non-commercial traders were still holding a net long, you know, in the last CFTC commitments trade report, legacy futures only, the only one that counts, they were still net long over 78,000 contracts. So all of a sudden you've got, you know, this, this large net long position, you've got headlines that aren't bullish. You've got a box beef market. That's not weakening, but it's not strengthening. And, you know, for months we've been talking about how, you know, live cattle in particular just look top heavy, like, you know, they, they've run out of gas and, and they're who's going to buy live cattle up in the 180 to 190. I mean, theoretically, if we look at price distribution, it's just way out of way out of scale. So all of these things have come together. We gap down, we go limit down. Once these things start to slide, nobody's going to step in and start buying and it just builds on itself. So the easy answer is, you know, obviously cattle on feed. But the, the reality is there's there was a number of bearish factors in play, including just being overpriced with an already large fund position, a uh, fund long position. Yeah, and I'm glad that you explained that because I think my initial reaction was the report mm -hmm. as well. But let's jump back into the grains. What are we seeing here for this week coming up? What should our listeners be paying attention to? Yeah, the biggest thing that we've got, you know, coming up here in the week, it, it's kind of just a carryover. Uh, we do have delivery against the uh, the November contract coming up next week. Uh, but again, if we just look at nothing more than just the technical side, you know, no beans went into an intermediate term uptrend a couple of weeks ago. So on its weekly chart, still showing an uptrend. But late last week, it got a little bit overcooked, a little bit overpriced, not overpriced, but overbought on its short term daily. So what we're seeing here is just kind of a continuation of what we saw at the end of last week with some contracts being sold, knocking the market back down, all perfectly normal within. And, you know, it doesn't change the uptrend unless we blow out the previous low. So to me, it just looks like some money moving around. We know harvest is still going on. We've got decent demand popping up, seasonal for soybeans. I mean, we saw some big uh, export inspections number on Monday morning. Again, this is seasonal, so it's nothing hugely surprising. Basis is still neutral, but firming. Uh, and in the corn market, it was interesting. You know, we saw it blow past $4.99 and $5 late last week. Couldn't get through $5.10. And at Friday's close, we had fallen right back into that sideways trend that we've been in for months. And so to me, so far now, we, we could still call it just a sideways trend. We, we blew out the bottom, we blew out the top, and we're still where we were before. So there's nothing going on in the corn market at this point. All eyes are on soybeans. And 
And again, really the only play that I see is that there, we've just got some long liquidation similar to what's going on cattle. We just have some very short-term long liquidation going on in soybeans. Yeah, I appreciated your tweet this morning looking specifically at corn and the National Corn Price Index because it sounds like you're posing there still could be some bullish potential here as we wrap up and head into, like you said, delivery dates, rolling over to a new contract month. Walk us through why you think there's some bullish potential still. Yeah, again, if I just set the fundamentals aside and I just look strictly at the technical picture and I look at the long-term monthly, which is what investors might be looking at. You know, in, in September, we saw the cash market, the, the, the bar chart national corn price index, the intrinsic value of the market just collapse to a new low uh, for this move. Uh, I think it got down to about 442, just a little above that. And this month, it set a new low down about 441 and a half. And so we took out last month's low and then we've rallied. So now, if we close higher for the month, a technician or an algorithm is going to look at that and say, look, we've got a bullish spike reversal possible here. And that's on the long-term monthly chart of the intrinsic value of the market. So from a technical point of view, and also the market you know, sharply oversold, we've got stochastics and single digits. All of these things, I know, are just mumbo jumbo, but it tells us it's oversold. It's telling us that we could see a bullish reversal pattern on the monthly chart, long-term monthly chart, and that could bring some money back in. It could be indicating that demand for U.S. corn is getting ready to pick up again, because again, this is the cash market where we're seeing these signs. Yeah. So just to jump in a little bit more about the cash market side of things, Darren, I know you track basis really closely across the country as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically during harvest, we see basis uh, weekend a little bit. Are we seeing the same trends follow? Or are there any areas in the country that are standing out to you right now of having unusual basis for whatever reason? Yeah, we're, we're actually starting to see some, some basis in the Midwest actually start to firm because these bushels are getting tucked away. One thing U.S. producers like to do is to not sell corn. So once we get the initial rush of harvest, so let's say once we get you know, 25, 30 percent, maybe a third of the way through harvest, those bushels were either contracted or sold or you know they get sold across the scale and then things start to get tucked away. And so merchandisers actually have to start pushing the market a little bit. And, and that's what we've seen. Historically, basis, you know, starts to flatten out in here and, you know, maybe start to strengthen against the December contract uh, through the end of November. Not a lot, but just a little bit at a time. And that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, the last couple of weeks, looking at national average basis, which takes everything into account, you know, we've seen quarter cent improvements. And it doesn't sound like much, but it's still interesting to see uh, because I know you know, there are parts of the Midwest where we're seeing much stronger basis. And now we got to go to the parts of the plains where the crops have been better than previous years. Uh, and basis might be weakening a little bit, a little weaker than it's been the last couple of years where they were a corn deficit area. So the net result is we're still seeing basis firm a little bit. It's weaker than it was last year, but we were basically out of corn at this point last year. Uh, so we're seeing it firm a little bit, perfectly seasonal move. Now we just have to see that demand continue to firm. If it doesn't, then... I would expect basis to start to tumble again. I really appreciate this conversation. I I enjoy Market Mondays, uh, but I'm learning quite a bit today. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, again, I want to go back to one of the first things we talked about, and it's something that you know, I know all the financial media companies and everything they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, the next week's meeting. And I do think it's important. Um, but what we have to keep in mind, you know, this is about the FOMC. If 
if the Fed raises rates again, it's not going to be the shock and surprise that everybody wants to talk about. I mean, let's remember, uh, Chairman Powell said in June, after the June meeting, that we should expect at least two more interest rate increases in 2023. We got one in July. We didn't in August. We didn't in September. So now we're at October, November, and there's only one meeting left, and that's the December meeting. So you know, there's a you know there's at least a 50-50 chance that we see you know we see another increase. Will that send markets flying apart? It shouldn't. I mean, because it should be factored in. For those paying attention, it should be factored in. But if it doesn't happen, then it really puts the spotlight on December. And the one thing that I really like about, and then I'll get, you know, one thing I really like about what the FOMC has done the last number of years is that it front runs these announcements. It tells you what the game plan is. It tells you, you know, what the moves are basically going to be well in advance to you know, to to bring down as much of the chaos that, that folks try to create in these markets. So, you know, it removes a lot of that uncertainty by basically laying out step for step what should be what should be happening. Fantastic, Darren. Well, for folks who want to pick your brain a little bit more or follow along with some of the great commentary that you share <laughs> on our chart, how can they find you? Yeah, that's the two two best ways to find me or go to darrennewsome.com. Uh, our own website, go to the services page. You can sign up for a free trial and, and you know see what I talk about, see how I analyze things. And also go to barchart.com, go to the news and authors page, and you can certainly find me. You can find all of the, the different articles and, 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 and analysis that I've put up on uh, Barchart, and you can go through it. You can kind of follow along, and I'll be posting new pieces. So two best ways to find me is our site and our, our personal site and certainly the barchart.com. Fantastic. Darren, well, thanks again for joining today. Certainly appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on again. I still think it is one of my favorite days of the week, Market Monday, getting us good kickoff, things to watch. So thanks again to Darren for hanging out. We'll be back again tomorrow, listeners, so don't go too far. But for today, Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.